0: Shalom, and thank you for listening at bethemanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at bethemanuel.org membership. Yeshua said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. The language of this parable alludes to the works of creation. He sleeps and rises, night and day, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. When it says. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The parable alludes to the third day. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind and God saw that it was good genesis 1:11 through 12 the germination growth and maturation of the seed alludes to the 7 days Day one, a man scatters seed on the ground. Day two, the seed sprouts and grows. Day three, the earth produces. Day four, first the blade. Day five, then the ear. Day six, the full grain in the ear. Day seven, the harvest has come. Today is day seven, Shabbat Breshit, the first Sabbath of the new Torah cycle. In my opinion, this is the real beginning. On Rosh Hashanah, we welcomed the new year. But the old year was still fading out because we were still in the old year's Torah cycle until now. We had to get through the festivals. We had a lot of holy days and appointed times. It's not until today, Shabbat Breshit, that we really get started on the new year as the new Torah cycle begins All those resolutions that we made during the High Holy Days are like seeds scattered on the soil of our being. But today on Shabbat Brashid, the seed has the opportunity to start to blossom. We are praying for rain. The rain begins. The seed begins to sprout, to grow, to produce. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear until the harvest. Today, we read the story of the creation of heaven and earth, and the Torah is renewed, and we are renewed as new creatures to enter a new heaven and a new earth. When a person dies, he enters into the world of souls, and they ask him a series of questions about how he conducted his life on earth. One of the questions is this, did you set a fixed time for Torah study? Meaning, did you deliberately spend time in the study of the Bible, learning the knowledge of God, learning about God, and seeking his revelation through the study of the scriptures and the words of the wise? Can you imagine how embarrassing it will be to reply to them? I didn't, I didn't have time for study because I was too busy scrolling through Facebook posts, reading my Twitter feed, watching Netflix, playing video games, and pursuing my hobbies and idle fancies. I didn't study the Bible because it seemed boring to me. For this reason, I'm here to remind you that as a disciple of Yeshua, your primary job is to be a disciple. When you agreed to become a disciple of Yeshua, you agreed to become a disciple. And what is a disciple? The word disciple means Student. And what does a student do? A student studies. In the Psalms, King David says, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Psalm 132, 3-5. A person who applies himself or herself to the study of the Torah creates a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob, a celestial palace and holy temple in which the Holy One, blessed be He, can reside in our consciousness. It's a palace of conscious thought and light, cognitive illumination on the level of being. Then, through that medium, God can reveal himself in this world first to us, and then through us. Through the study of Torah, we bring godliness and God himself into this world, and we create a place for him to dwell. Therefore, we should take this advice from King David. Before going to sleep at night, ask yourself, Did I set a fixed time for study today? That is, did I study some words of scripture, some words of the Bible today? If the answer is no, don't get into your bed or give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids until you have at least opened the Word of God and learned a chapter, or if not a chapter, a shorter section, or if not a short section, at least one verse. When you lie down and when you arise. Daily study is not only a good idea and a good habit, it's a commandment. It's also essential for spiritual growth. This year, as we start the new Torah cycle today, you could make it your goal to read an Aliyah of the Torah every day. There are seven days in a week, and each Parsha is broken into seven Aliyot. This is a great way to make sure you have done some Torah learning every day, and it prepares you for Shabbat. The daily app at bethemanuel.org slash daily gives you the option to read the daily Aliyah in Hebrew or English. While you are there, you might also pray through the daily Psalms and read the Perik Yomi, a single chapter from the Gospels. It's conveniently on your phone and on the website. That's just one option. This year, I'm encouraging people to read through the Nakh, the Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, that is, the Prophets and the Writings. What an adventure! A year with David and Solomon and all the kings and the prophets, the world of ancient Israel. It's like Lord of the Rings without the hobbits. Perhaps you want to read through the book of Acts or the letters of Paul this year. Do it. Perhaps this is the year you want to really dig into the book of Jude. Make it happen. The point is to spend some time in real Bible study every day, not just reading books about the Bible and not just reading commentaries or inspiring Musar books or halakhic treatises or fun midrash or even Hasidic discourses, but actually reading the Bible. This is what we study because we are students. That's what it means to be a disciple. And of course, our primary responsibility is to learn the words of the master. That's one of our main jobs as a disciple, as disciples of Yeshua, to learn his teachings. Ideally, this means not just reading the gospels, but also memorizing his words. They will say to you, you were a disciple of Yeshua. You had one job. Peter says to the master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." The mere fact that you are present and listening to this teaching or listening to it online or reading the members' transcript version of this message indicates to me that you are a serious person, you're serious about God, you're serious about discipleship, you're serious about learning, and serious about seeking the kingdom. Most people in the world have zero interest in religion. Most religious people have zero interest in their own religion. But that's not you. That's not who you are. You heard a voice calling to you, Come up higher, friend. You are seeking first the kingdom. Martha is worried and concerned and busy with many things, but she has neglected the one thing necessary. Her sister Miriam, who sits at the feet of the Master, has chosen the good portion. She's chosen to devote herself To the teaching. That's you. When you become a member of Beth Emanuel, you agree to make daily study one of the key habits that defines your life. According to that agreement, you can study some Bible or a devotional or any book of Torah learning. But I'm encouraging you to use your daily study time to become familiar with the Bible. Everyone should have their own Bible, which contains the Torah, the Prophets, the Writings, the Gospels, Acts, the Epistles, and the Revelation. Write your name in it. It belongs to you. It should be your own Bible, your own book, the main book, the book from which you read every day. If you have lots of Bibles, that's fine, but choose one of them to be your Bible, the one that's yours. When my brother David died in an automobile accident, his wife placed his Bible at the visitation before the funeral, along with several of his belongings and some photographs. I paged through his Bible, this full-size leather-bound book with dog-eared pages and worn binding, with the Thompson chain reference between the columns and full apparatus at the bottom of the page. I saw the margins filled with notes, the pages colored like a rainbow with highlighter, I opened his Bible and held it up to heaven to show them how he had committed himself to the discipline of studying God's word and how he had labored over God's word. You should have your own Bible, the one that is always with you. Not a Bible on your phone, not a cheap paperback or a Bible written in fine print on wafer-thin semi-transparent paper that's a chore to read. A beautiful Bible, beautifully bound, that's inspiring to look upon and a joy to read, written in a translation you enjoy and in a typeface conducive to reading. I don't care what translation you prefer, so long as you enjoy it. Make it the King James, the English Standard, the Living Bible, the Message, the Complete Jewish Bible, the Tree of Life version from the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Project, The important thing is that it's a Bible you enjoy and find inspiring because you are going to be spending a lot of time in it. My personal preference for easy reading in Articulate English is the NIV, the New International Version, or for solid translation, the New American Standard or English Standard Version, or for sheer beauty of language, the King James Version. You see my point. Do you have a Bible that's your personal Bible that you use to study the Bible? Get the book in your hands. If you can't afford a Bible, come talk to me. We'll get one in your hands and not just a black ESV pew Bible. I can't emphasize enough how important it is. To have an actual physical Bible that you can bookmark, that you can turn the pages, that you can bring with you to Bible studies and to services, that you can keep on the nightstand beside your bed so that you can read it when you lie down and when you get up. I prefer one that doesn't have Hebrew writing in it because I want to mark it up. I don't want my personal Bible to be a safer Kodesh, which has the name of God in it, because I want a book that I can mark up, underline, shove into a backpack, and treat as a familiar friend. But if you prefer a safer Kodesh to read in Hebrew, that's totally reasonable too. But the relationship is going to be different. The important thing is that you have your own Bible, one that's yours. And the really important thing is that you use it every day. The psalm for today, Tishrei 26, is the second half of Psalm 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, probably the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it's entirely dedicated to David's praise of the Torah, his delight over God's word, and his dedication to learn it, study it, and meditate upon it. From the outset of the book of Psalms, David compares the man who studies the Torah and meditates upon it to a tree planted by a stream of water whose leaf does not wither, who stays green even in the dry season because its roots are planted by the living stream of water, meditation in God's word. This stream of water flows from Eden to water the whole earth, It's the river of life that gladdens the heart as it flows from the heart of the temple. You give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 36. Dwight Pryor of Blessed Memory was fond of saying, Study is the highest form of worship. How can that be? How can study be a form of worship at all, much less the highest form of worship? It's a form of worship because study engages the mind, that is, the biblical heart. It engages the mind in the knowledge of God, and the mind is where we exist. Therefore, study of God's revelation is the way in which our conscious being can intersect the knowledge of God, and when that happens, when we grasp a little bit of the awesomeness of God, we are moved to serve Him and to worship inwardly. The Shmash says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that is, your mind. How? By writing his word upon your heart. These words shall be upon your heart, to learn and to teach them diligently to your children. Learn them at night and by day, away from home and at home. That's the highest form of worship. But Dwight Pryor was also fond of saying, We study to learn, And we learn to do. The goal of Bible study is not just Bible study. The goal of Bible study is the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God should transform our lives, quickening the spiritual aspect of our being, focusing us upon the kingdom and the unseen world so that we transcend the mundane and see through the illusion of God's concealment then we should live our lives in accordance with that revelation, ever seeking to improve ourselves in our imitation of Yeshua. Or better yet, ever seeking to draw closer to God so that He can improve us and conform us more to the image of His Son, which is the image of God on earth. The sages say that one who learns the Bible but does not do what he learns is like a tree with big branches but shallow roots. The wind comes and knocks it down. We've had plenty of that in Hudson lately. But one who studies and applies his Torah learning to his daily life, this is like a tree with deep roots that cannot be toppled. Every human being is made in the image of God. This is what we learn in today's Torah portion. Every human being is supposed to be God's image on earth. The sages compare the story of the creation of heaven and earth with the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. They point out many similarities between Genesis 1 and 2 and the story of the building of the tabernacle. The implication is that the universe is supposed to be a temple for Hashem. The Garden of Eden is a sacred orchard, such as one would associate with the temple of the ancient Near East. In a typical ancient Near Eastern temple, there should be a holy place, and at the center of the holy place, one would expect to find an idol or uh, an idol of the deity that inhabits that temple. That is to say, his or her image on earth within the physical realm. But God has no idol on earth, and to make an image of him is forbidden. This is because God is concealed from this world. Instead, his image is stamped upon the human being. In other words, human beings who bear sentience, consciousness, the power of speech, and serve as vessels for the divine light of the soul, we are supposed to be God's image bearers in this temple. That's our job. That's what it means to be human. We are supposed to represent God within the universe. It's our goal to show the rest of the world who Hashem is, what He looks like, and all of His attributes. We've not done a good job at this. Adam and Eve got us off to a poor start, and they they got kicked out of the holy place. But the job description has not changed. This is still the meaning of life, the meaning of our existence in this world. Godliness, to be like God. That was the original temptation. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. It sounded like the right idea because it is the right idea, but the wrong method. Disobedience to God's commandments is not the path to revelation or to godliness, Instead, we should pray with King David, Open my eyes to your Torah. Then your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How can we be like God if we do not trouble to learn about what God is like? How can we fulfill the meaning of life and the purpose of existence if we do not learn the knowledge of God? In the kingdom of heaven, the knowledge of God will flood the earth. And no one will need to say, know ye the Lord, for they will all know him. Preachers like me will need to find a new job. But we aren't there yet. We have not achieved that revelation yet. Nevertheless, it's the job of every disciple to strive to enter into the kingdom now. The kingdom is at hand. Therefore, it's our job to learn the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Lord, now. We aren't to wait until the messianic era. In the beginning, God planted trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. This alludes to the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They both bear seed according to their kind, respectively. The serpent offered Adam and Eve knowledge in the form of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The serpent knew that we were made to seek the knowledge of Hashem. It's hardwired into our nature. He exploited that. He knew we are vulnerable to his temptation of knowledge to be like God. Because we intuitively seek the knowledge of God to be like him. And he offered knowledge from the tree of knowledge with the promise that we would be like God. But that's the wrong tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil can only reveal the knowledge of this world of concealment where good and evil both exist in tension. But there is a tree that reveals the knowledge transcending the world of good and evil, a tree with its roots in the deep knowledge of God. Its branches reach all the way to the heavens, and its crown extends above the heavens. This is the Chaim, the tree of life, of which it says regarding God's wisdom, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed, are called happy. Proverbs 3.18 Adam and Eve were meant to eat of the fruit of the tree of life and The tree of life is the Torah, wherein God's will and wisdom is revealed. The serpent offered to open the eyes of Adam and Eve so that they would be like God. The fruit of knowledge did open their eyes, but only to their own physicality, thereby stripping them of their spiritual identity and leaving them lost, ashamed, and confused in the material world. Knowing good and evil means that they knew only this world, its choices, good and evil, and its vicissitudes, that seemingly good things might happen and seemingly bad things happen, a world of chaos and consequence without spiritual meaning or the revelation of God. A world in which we are lost, like a man lost in the darkness of a dangerous and confusing forest from which one can find no exit. The serpent offered to open their eyes so that they would be like God, but he blinded them to God. However, our master opens the eyes of the blind, does he not? He's adept at opening the eyes of the blind. For example, in the last chapter of Luke, it tells us that after discoursing all day on the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, he opened the eyes of the two on the way to Emmaus, and they recognized him. Likewise, a few verses later, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Luke twenty-four, forty-four and 45. It's not that they had never understood the Bible before. But there are different levels to Bible study. The sages say that there are four levels of interpretation. Yeshua opened their eyes to see the Peshat, the Remez, the Drash, and the Sod. Peshat is the literal meaning, the intended meaning of a text. Remez is the allusions, the hints to deeper meanings, usually obtained by combining scripture with scripture. Drash uh, is the further interpretations obtained only through searching the scriptures, as Yeshua says, search the scriptures, for in them you have eternal life, they testify of me, and sowed the esoteric mystery, the mystical concealed and secret meaning behind a text. The four words create the acronym pardes, which means orchard or paradise, The sages liken it to the Garden of Eden, and they say that in paradise, we will engage in Torah study. I've heard that we derive the English word paradise from the term pardus. Jewish sources sometimes depict the paradise of the afterlife, the world of souls, as a heavenly Bible study, a heavenly Beit Midrash, where the learning and the revelation of Hashem goes on without limit, like a never-ending stream of life and light flowing from the midst of the garden. That's the orchard of Torah, the Pardes of Paradise, in which grows the tree of life, the Etz Chaim. We should all aspire to understand the Peshat, the literal meaning. It's not always easy to do. When we study the Bible, we should do so with the intention of understanding what we are reading. Philip, the evangelist, asked the Ethiopian in the chariot, Do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? It's a mistaken conceit of Protestant theology to suppose that a person should be able to understand the Bible— without a teacher. The Bible is an ancient document written at a higher caliber of literacy than most modern readers are accustomed, and there are many wrong paths of interpretation and misunderstanding. The Bible was written by Jewish people to Jewish people in the language and culture and theological assumptions of the Jewish people. The Bible can be compared to a thick forest with many winding paths that lead in wrong directions. Some paths, which are not paths, might lead a person to disaster. It can raise many doubts. People come to wrong conclusions, and in some cases, study leads to agnosticism, apathy, and even atheism. That's because the Bible was never meant as a place for you to wander about on your own, lost and confused, wondering about which path might be the right one, Which interpretation might be the right one, and so forth. Instead, the sages say, Accept a teacher for yourself and remove all doubt. The Ethiopian reading from the scroll of Isaiah said to Philip, How can I understand it unless someone guides me? Yeshua of Nazareth is the Bible teacher we have accepted upon ourselves. He is the one who removes all doubt and makes the scriptures clear. He is our guide through the Bible. When we study the Bible as a Jewish document, according to the teaching of the Jewish Jesus, then we understand it as such from within Judaism, and the confusion dissipates, and the path becomes clear. Then the words of King David ring true, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. All of this is to make the case for serious Bible study. I want us all to be biblically literate people. 150 years ago, even secular people knew the Bible better than religious people know it today. That's because it was just part of the common Christian culture to read the Bible, to study it in both Sunday school and public school, to discuss it, and so forth. It used to be that people traded in Proverbs and allusions to the Bible the way people trade funny memes on social media today. People don't know the Bible today. The secular culture makes fun of something they have never read, and the religious culture tries to defend something they have never read. But here at Beth Emanuel, you have no excuse. Consider joining a Torah club. For $60, you could be studying through the Gospels using the Torah Club materials and attending the weekly Torah Club classes here at the synagogue. It's actually surprising to me how little interest there is in an in-depth Gospel study like this. Imagine that at Beth Emanuel Messianic Synagogue. Very few people are interested in learning the gospel from a Jewish perspective. I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. A few weeks before the holidays, I received an email from a woman from Kentucky. She wanted to know if I was going to be here present at Beth Emanuel on Saturday, October 2nd for Shabbat Bray why? Because it was her wedding anniversary and she and her husband had decided to celebrate their wedding anniversary. They were going to make a 7,600 mile trip to visit Beth Emanuel. They listen to the teachings online. They study along with us. They want to visit us. I told them I never planned that far ahead and I was not sure if I would be present or not. But even if I was not, Aaron or Yisrael or Yoshi would be teaching. They asked me to let them know as my plans firmed up they were eager to visit and eager to learn with us. Can you imagine being so devoted to the, to the study of the Word of God that you would use your wedding anniversary as the occasion to make a, a pilgrimage to Beth Emmanuel, 7,600 miles? That's amazing. A lot of us can't seem to make it seven blocks for the sake of learning Torah. But then, a few days ago, we received another email from this same woman, telling us that they would not be visiting us after all. Why? Because on the eve of Sukkot, only a few days after Yom Kippur, her husband died. She said, We had completed our plans and were very much looking forward to our visit, but Hashem had other plans for my husband. On September 20th, he suffered a heart attack and went to be with his beloved father and with his master, Yeshua. I pray someday I will be able to complete our plans and worship with you and your congregation. Today, Shabbat Breshit is their wedding anniversary. On the eve of Sukkot, this man made a pilgrimage far greater than a trek to Hudson. He entered the heavenly study hall, The Academy of Messiah, where he today sits beneath the trees of the orchard of paradise, planted by a stream of living water, eating from the fruit of the tree of life, its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and he engages in the never-ending pursuit of the knowledge of Hashem. When he first arrived, I expect that they asked him, did you set a fixed time for study? And I expect he answered them in the affirmative. That's why this couple from Kentucky are not here to study with us today or to celebrate their wedding anniversary with us today. That's a valid reason. But what is the reason for the rest of us who find it so difficult to attend a Bible study or a teaching? Who find it so difficult to sit through a half-hour reading of the Parsha? Or to hear a teaching from the pulpit on a Shabbat morning? Or who find it so difficult to open a a Bible at all. Yeshua said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The seed is his teaching. He was a Bible teacher. If we resolve to be the good soil and not the stony ground or the shallow soil or the soil choked by weeds, then the seed sprouts and grows. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Until the harvest has come. The Zohar says that when we study the Bible and discover therein new meanings and new revelations, we fulfill the verse that says, Behold, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. Today on Shabbat Braesheet, when we begin the Torah again with the story of the creation of the heavens and the earth, resolve with me to undertake. A year of serious Bible study focused on learning the Bible through daily study so that when they ask you did you set a fixed time for study, you can reply you're darn right I did. Take on my yoke And learn from me And find Rest for your soul